you would, turn the Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Last week we began a, a new <clears throat> series here on what is the introduction to the Gospel of John. It's called the Prologue. I talked about that last week. It's the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. It's really, really good. One of the things I said last week is that John uses the simplest vocabulary in the New Testament in this prologue to go over the most profound truths in the New Testament. John is good like that. He can talk about big, deep things in a way that everybody understands. Last week, we looked at Jesus being God or the Word being God because the Word is, the, is how this begins. It's the Word became flesh. It's the incarnate Word. And Jesus being God, Jesus is the Word, the living Word. Today, we will look at verses 4 and 5 that Jesus is the light. Next week, we will look at verses 6 through 8 about the witness. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to be the witness be the witness to the word, to the light, to Jesus. He was not the light. He was going to witness to the light, and that's next week. Then after that, we're going to look at the people of God or the children of God and how you become that way. That's there. And then it will end in our fifth week, which will be Father's Day, on the message. The message that the witness brought, the message that the word brought, the message that the gospel brings, the message that... God sends. It's a good, small little series for us to study. But today is the light. What a good, good subject for God to use to help us think through God, us, good, evil, light, and darkness. We can understand that. The other day we were riding in our, in our van and Noah was sitting right there in the middle and, and our kids are in this habit right now where they've got like Lego men with them everywhere they go. They've got two or three with them everywhere they go and they're always with them. And we got home late and it was dark and one of the guys, one of the Lego men, they're not called men, they're actually called minifigures, but one of the uh, minifigures' head had popped off. It's really bad. They're supposed to stay on. It's bad Lego. It's been played with too much if it's loose. It's not supposed to be loose. But it had fallen off. So Noah says to me, it's like 10 o'clock at night, Noah says to me, can I see your keys? I need to go back out to the van. It fell down in the seat, and it's, it's, it's under the seat. And so he goes in there, he's looking, he's looking, looking, he can't find this little head. And you know it's like the size of a fourth of a penny, you know? It's like so small. And he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he comes back in, and he says... You know how the seats can like do this, but they can also like if you pull a different button, the seats can slide up? I said, yeah. He said, can you come out and show me that because I think it's stuck underneath there, man. I'm not finding this. I said, well, we can wait till another day. He said, no, I really can't wait. I got to find it. And I said, well, JJ knows how to slide the seat or Eli knows how to slide the seat. Ask them to help you. So they go back out there, get the seat slid up. Now they got full and they're looking and looking. They come back in a little bit later. Can't find it. Can't find it. Well, Finally, they're upset. They lost this Lego head, and Val says, that's all right. When the sun comes up tomorrow, you'll be able to find it. And sure enough, the next day you go, and there's light, and you could, listen, you could see better. This 
is what God wants us to get. God is the one who enables people to see. See rightly. See correctly. See accurately. See what God sees. See how God sees. This is what we are getting at when the light comes into the world. He causes us to see ourselves as broken and wrong and rebellious and against God. We don't see that until God causes us to see that. You cannot look in the mirror and see yourself rightly until God causes you to see yourself rightly. He causes us to see Him rightly. We cannot look up or look around. We cannot look and see God rightly until God allows us to see Him. And we cannot, listen to me, we cannot see others, especially those that are different from us, rightly, until God helps us see. He is the light. And the light does that. Read with me, if you will, from John chapter 1, just verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this theme of light and darkness is throughout Scripture. I mean, if you went and did a search of the word light, it is found so many times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, right? Light and darkness are used everywhere. I want to uh, uh, brag on Andrew Crawford again. Nearly every song that we sang today had the theme of light and darkness in it, right? That's a good job. That's good preparation. Thank you for that. The songs are preparing us to be able to think through the themes of God's Scripture, and that's good leadership, Andrew. We appreciate that. This theme of light and darkness is everywhere. And this is really strong because we are only four verses into John's gospel, which is big and it's long, and John covers a lot. But we're only four verses into John's gospel where he says that in him, so who is him, is life, and the life is the light. So it's loaded. Small words, simple vocabulary, but loaded truth. Well, it begins with In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is the life giver. Jesus is the light. The life giver, Creator God, is also the light. He is all of those things. It is God from beginning to end. It is God who is sovereign in creation and sovereign in salvation. It is God who changes hearts. It's God who opens eyes. God is the maker. He is the divine. He is the life. And he is the light. So John introduces this here, and it's really good, and he will even explain it more so throughout uh, his gospel. And when you get to John chapter 8, which is what uh, Matt McBroom read just a little bit ago, you get to John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light in your life comes from the light. It's the source. Jesus is the source. To have light in your life, you must have Jesus. 
And if you do not have Jesus, then you will, listen, continue to walk in darkness, as he says. Okay? You will continue to walk in darkness. If you follow him, you won't walk in darkness. If you don't follow him, you will walk in darkness. Now, I know, right? I know that we all have friends and family that will push back on that and say, are you saying that there's no good and that there's no light apart from God in the world? I'm saying no. I'm saying, I'm not saying that. I'm saying every single example of good, good works, or light in the world are a picture of what God is like. And to the extent that they testify to God, they are more accurate. And to the extent that they don't testify to God, they tarnish the accuracy of the light. You need to understand that. When a pagan or an atheist or somebody out there who does not believe in Christ does good or is honest, it is light and it is good. But it's a tarnished part of good, a tarnished picture of good, because it's not fully accurate. God is the source of light and good. And Jesus is trying to get us to see that in all of us, there are tendencies of good works, and there are times where we do well, and we know that. In saying that we are flawed and sinners and all of that, we're not saying we're the worst people in the world, but we're saying that we're not right, we're not good, we're not altogether holy the way God wants us to be. We cannot live for the love and worship and glory of God until we get the new life of Christ in us, until we get the forgiveness of sins that comes from Christ alone, his work on the cross, until we get the light that is Jesus inside of us. And so he's able to say he is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That's one of the huge, like, discrepancies that we have when we try to communicate to the lost world, right? There are all these sweeping general, generalizations out there where we say we're sinners, and they want to point back and say, well, hey, everybody sins, but I don't always sin. And we say we know. But God is either holy or, and we are not. God is holy, and we are not holy, and we need to be holy to be in a right relationship with him. And so we need Christ's power, his saving work on the cross to do this in us to where we accurately portray life and light to where we could be consistent, to where we could be faithful, where we could be true. And this is what Jesus means. He says again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And D.A. Carson, this great preacher, says, points out, which is obvious, but I want to say it, light and darkness are not simply opposites. See, if you don't think about this, you'll forget this. They are not simply opposites. Darkness is nothing other than the absence of light. There's a big difference there. Darkness is the absence of light. Before God created light in the beginning, there was nothing but darkness. Nothing but darkness. And so God created light, and now we're able to distinguish between light and darkness. You think about darkness on any level, dark in a room. It's only dark there because there is no light. But if you turn on a light, or as we would say in the South, cut on a light, right? If you cut on a light, then you would see that the darkness seems to go away because now the light is there. These are the things that God is wanting us to think through in our own world, in our own lives, in our own hearts. He is God, and he is the word, and he is the life, and he is the light. Well, because the word light is so common in the Bible, there are really 
many, many ways we could go with understanding light. But for time's sake, I want us to just look at two today. Light as representing goodness, firstly, and light as representing clarity, secondly. So goodness and clarity, clarification, clarifying. Number one, light as goodness. This is what I think most of us think of when we say light, right? Hey, I want to be the light in the world, man. Just such a bright light in my day. Man, I've been having a hard time. You were, the, you were the brightest thing that happened in my week. You really brightened up the office today, right? That's what I think we're thinking about when we get to light. When we think of light, we think of light as goodness. You might have heard somebody say, be the light, right? And this is what we're thinking of when we think of good as opposed to dark, right? good as opposed to dark. So we have an idea of things that are dark or bad or not good, right? We have an idea of those things and we experience those, but we also know that there are good things that we would call those light. Perhaps you know, and this is an awesome little study, that in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest sermon that we have from Jesus, his longest teaching point, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. Did you know that the Bible says both of those things? Have you read the Bible enough or have you ever heard that? In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. How can it be that people are the light of the world as God's son is the light of the world, right? Well, it's because of what Jesus is teaching us that when he becomes to be inside of you, when you commit yourself to following him, when you repent of your sins and say, I need you, God, his light begins to work inside of you. You can become light when the light gets it's inside of you, all right? But he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. But he goes on. He's referring to the people of God. He's directly speaking to the apostles and the others that have gathered around to hear this sermon on the mountain. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We would see a city set on a hill, right? You would see all the lights. You would see the activity there. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We understand that, right? You take a light, and you put it on an end table. You set it you know, on, on, on a bedside uh, nightstand. Or sometimes we hang lights from the ceiling, right? Because the higher it is, the more you can see it, right? The more it can spread, the more uh, good it can do, right? We don't take lights and stick them in the closet or stick them under the piano over there or something like that. We don't do that. It won't, it won't be able to do as much good. And so he says this, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shine around people. Let your light shine around people so that when they see you do good works, they think about God. If God is the source of everything good and true and right and light, then anything that represents God should help people look to God. And I know that at times it's flawed and it's tarnished and all of that, but there are lots of times when we think that is a great representation of what God is like. 
And that is how the Bible often uses light. That is, it is to be good, and it is to be doing good. And I hope that right now you can think of all sorts of things. I often ask myself, what would it be like if this week, out of nowhere, the First Baptist Church of Fairdale was gone? I don't know what happened to us. Maybe we died off, or maybe we all collectively together moved away, sold this property, they bulldozed it and turned it into a supermarket. What if this place and these people were gone? Would anything be missed? Would the community hurt? Would some good be lost? Would the schools feel that? Listen to me. Would the poor feel that loss? Would your family suffer? Would the neighborhoods around here suffer? Would criminals be thriving? Would they be glad? Would Satan rejoice? Would single mothers miss us? Would the hungry miss us? Would the minorities miss us? That's the way we ought to think when we think about light and doing good. Are we doing good? Do we have good works? Are people seeing them? Are we shining? Well, John, who introduces this to us, also wrote some small little epistles. Turn with me, if you can, quickly to 1 John. And John loves these themes. We've already talked about that. He loves them. He talks about life and light and, 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 and glory and truth a lot. And at 1 John chapter 1, he starts to clarify what it means to be light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, the light. Talking about Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk... In the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's giving clarity to what it means to be in the light. And this is really good because, listen, it is so easy for us to see the good that we do. Remember, I'm only talking right now about light as being goodness. It is really easy for us, okay, to have a lot of badness over here and have some goodness over here and think that, man, I'm shining brightly because of this. We're all that way. We are. We are. But 1 John takes that a step further and says, if your goodness over here is your light, 
but you've got some darkness over here that you're not repenting of and confessing and, and, and admitting and you're hiding it, then you are a liar and that light is not in you. That's what he's saying. We are not people who are able to break down our lives and compartmentalize our lives and say, because I've got light over here, it means I'm Christian and I'm just not going to address the darkness that is over here. And we get to thinking about things which has really been brought to light here a lot lately. I want to speak to something for just a minute. And I, I realize that today is a very heavy day and very sensitive. But we struggle big time with this when it comes to social issues like abortion as compared to racism. It is often really easy for us to say we're against abortion. Many people have never experienced anything to do with an abortion. Many of you are strongly against abortion, and I'm glad that you are. But it's the easiest, bold decision for you because nobody in your life has ever had an unwanted pregnancy. And so a sin that's way over there is easy to say, I'm against it. And we are against it. And if you're watching at home, we don't like abortion. But we understand that every pregnancy and unwanted pregnancies came from God. And we love those babies. And we will do anything for those babies. We will. But racism is also bad and ugly and sinful. But it hits really close to home if you speak up to racism. It hits really close to home. Because everybody in this room has family or people in your home or people that you know who are racist. We do. And whether we will admit it or not, we know all the jokes, we've heard all the comments, we have seen it. And so we cannot speak up as boldly about it because as soon as it gets out of our mouth, there are people that hear it that are bothered by it. And that's not light. That's not good. First John says, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the light, and yet there is darkness in us, we are lying. And so, by all means, may we be faithfully opposed to abortion with mercy and understanding and compassion for everybody that has ever had an abortion, for every baby that is in the womb that is unwanted, and for every child that is born without a home. May those things matter to us. But may we also realize that if we want to be people who do good works, we are also about things that upset people, close to home even. Look over to chapter 2 at verse 7. He keeps going. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded 
his eyes. Loving a brother or sister, a brother and sister in Christ is specifically what this is talking about, speaks to whether we are in the light or whether we are in the dark. And then the same thing that he said in chapter 1, just because we can point out a whole group of people that we love, if we are not honest about those that we are not loving or we've not tried to love or understand, then we cannot really confirm or affirm ourselves in loving them. That is not good. That is not goodness. That is not light. Light wants to love everybody. And so we have this idea in Scripture of light being like goodness. So I go back, so turn back with me to John chapter 1 where we're at. So now I go back to this idea of what would happen if our church was gone. Would there be a difference? This is the way that we are to think about the church being light. We, the church, are the people. The church, this building does not shine. We turn the lights off at night. We literally do, right? We don't want the church to be shining at night, the building, but we want the people to be. And so do we. Are we the light? If you were to move away, would your neighbors miss that? If we were to stop some of the ministries that we're doing here, would there be a hole left in our community? This is the way we are to think about representing Jesus. Jesus is altogether good. He is the light of the world. And when he has come into our lives... Because he saved us and forgiven us of our sins, we also want to bring that light into the world around us. When we move into a neighborhood, Jesus moves into a neighborhood. When we start to coach a ball team, Jesus is now involved with the ball team. You understand what I'm saying? This is a way that the Bible speaks of light. It is good. It is bright. It is good works. It is making a difference. It is able to be seen. It is pointing to God. It is a way in which people see light and they give glory to the Father in heaven. The Bible says that, and we want to be that. Light as goodness. Good being opposed to dark. But secondly... Turn back to John chapter 1. Light is also a clarifier. Light is also a clarifier. This is different from be the light. This is more so shine the light in the darkness. This is not so much Good as opposed to darkness, but this is light overcoming darkness. There isn't a lot in John chapter 1 about light. It's rather short, it's rather brief. But one thing, verse 5, speaks directly to the way Jesus is the light. Now, the Bible tells us a whole lot about the light, right? Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness... And the darkness has not overcome it. And we know this to be so true, like the story I opened with about losing a Lego minifigure in the car. 
The darkness makes it where we cannot see. We cannot get that. We cannot find what we're looking for. It's right there, but we just cannot see it or locate it. But if there is light that is more powerful than that darkness and it will overcome that darkness, like the sun rising or a super-duper flashlight would have done the job. I don't know why Noah didn't have one of those. But the light shining into the darkness will overcome the darkness and you will be able to see. And the Bible also says that this is what Jesus does. Turn with me to chapter 3. Verse 16. Everybody knows this verse. But I wonder if you know the passage, the context. John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Amen, right? Amen. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Okay, so that's some heavy truth that we all affirm. We know that. If you want to go to heaven and be forgiven of your sins, you must know Christ who came out of great love to save you, all right? If you reject Christ and the salvation of him dying as a sacrifice for you, you will not be saved. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says right there. But now, he's going to say the same thing using the terms light and darkness. Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. See, verse 16 said that the sun came into the world. But now 19 says the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's the same thing that he just said. He's just saying it in a way that explains it differently. He's saying light and darkness. People love darkness. That would be their sins. That would be evil rather than the light, because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, God is light, And sometimes the Bible is describing light as goodness, but sometimes it's describing light as clarifying. And here's what it means. That when God shows up, things are now exposed. Darkness is pushed back. The lights are turned on. And we can see things a lot more accurately than we could before. This is a true story. When Val got pregnant with our, with our first couple of kids, I had to go get a job at UPS. And I was working at UPS, the most terrible hours in the history of mankind. I had to be there at like 1.30 in the morning. I'd go to sleep at like 11 and wake up two hours later, miserable, hating life, go to work and start working at like 1.30 or 2. And we'd get off at like 5. We'd go to work at dark and we'd leave work at dark and it was terrible. And I'll never forget when I started doing that, that a guy working there said, man, when you clock out, you be careful because the freaks come out at night. And all of these hundreds and hundreds of people that are working here are about to get off work in the middle of the night, and they've been drinking coffee and Red Bulls, and they are so fired up on energy, they're not going home and going to bed, and there ain't nothing to do at four or five in the morning except for do things that we shouldn't be doing. So you be careful. And as I started to live that and see as people get off work what they were doing, hey, nobody's awake. No mom's awake at 4 o'clock to see what her little 19-year-old son's doing, right? So he's doing whatever he wants to. 
And it was this idea that there was no light shining at four or five in the morning to expose the darkness. And I saw that. And here, the Bible is saying that that's what God does. And so you can see that there's a lot of people that don't like God showing up. They don't like God being present because God is a light that shines in the darkness and he exposes things. That's exactly what it says. And people don't even like that light because their works are evil, it says there. And so you can see if there are sins in your life, any sins, you don't want God around you or you don't want people that bring God with them around them because it is this uncomfortable lights being on. We know that. We know that. The Bible is teaching us that light is clarifying. It overcomes the dark. And it is here that I want us to be able to think for a second further about the racism that we're hearing so much about. Racism is a real issue. On Sunday nights in our church, even tonight, we're doing a series through the Baptist faith and message. We have these for you. If you want to know what a Baptist is, because there's all types of discussion about denominations and all that, if you want to know what a Southern Baptist is, we would love for you to find out. And every Sunday night, we're preaching through it. We have these right here at the back. When you walk out, you can grab one of these, the whole thing. I want to read to you, this is everything that Baptists believe in a statement. And I want to read to you from Article 15, so we're like at Article 4 right now, tonight. And Article 15 speaks to the Christian and the social order. I will read straight from it. It says, all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism. And I know that everybody in here shakes their head and says, yes, yes we do, yes we should. It goes on at the end and it says, in order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. We are opposed to it. Well, if we are opposed to racism, then we are wanting God's light to shine on that darkness. One of the realest ways for you to understand that there is still darkness in the world is to just see what goes on in the world in regards to racism. Well, how can we best do that? Well, first of all, we need God's light to shine on it. But what would be a good example of God's light shining on it? Listen to me. I want to be very careful here. I hope you know I love you all so much. The way that we will benefit from that, listen to me, is if we allow somebody dealing or experiencing racism to share with us. We don't need white people telling white people, first and foremost, what the racism is like. There's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But we need the truth to be seen. We need the light to shine on the darkness. And so if we're not experiencing the racism, then it's not light on darkness. 
We need somebody who says I'm in the darkness to help us see that. That is what is helpful. And I wonder, and praise God, we're having more and more minorities in our church, and I'm thankful for that. I hope that there will be more and more. I hope that there will be more and more. But I wonder, seriously, if there is a single minority in our church has ever been asked, and please don't answer right now, has ever been asked by a white person, how does this make you feel? Do I make you feel uncomfortable? Have I said some things? I'm not saying go to unbelievers and say, hey man, tell me your story, where we're thinking that they see things different from us. I'm not saying that. I'm saying believers, people who are wanting to worship God with us, who believe the truth, cling to Christ. Let's hear from them. I'll just give you a few stories in my own life. Back in the day when Polar Pops were new, say about 2005, they started at 59 cents. And one of the first things that I learned to do with anybody I met was, can I buy you a Polar Pop? And I have gone from that basketball court to that Circle K to buy Polar Pops so many times. One time I was walking to get a Polar Pop with somebody with dark skin. In a car, this, you know, now I feel like I've been here long enough to where when I'm walking down the street, a lot of people recognize me. But years ago, they didn't. We were walking just to the Circle K, and a car drove by, honked the horn, and yelled out the N-word at us. That's happened to me with somebody I'm walking right here down the street. Another time, I've been walking to get a Polar Pop with a Latino person, a Spanish-speaking person. And as we're walking to the gas station, somebody drives by, honks the horn, and yells out, Go back to Mexico! Which keeps on driving. I've had those experiences I don't know what you call those. They're not good. They're not good. Nobody's ever yelled out at me when I'm walking by myself. Or when Jake and I are walking over here to go to Polar Pop, nobody does. Matter of fact, you know what's more likely? For somebody to stop and hand us money out the window and say, go buy you one. Nobody's done that to me when it's been somebody, a minority that's with me. And so I'm just trying to point out that their experience is different. I'm just trying to get you to feel that their experience is different from ours. Let me make it a little bit more real, more personal. A few years ago, Val and I were taking home a minority in our car, driving them home. As we were driving, cop pulls up behind me, lights on, and pulls us over. We had our seatbelts on. We were going to the speed limit, pulls us over comes up to the window, asks me all these questions, says all of these things. I say, yes, sir, and all of that. I'm a white guy, middle class, all of that sort of stuff. My whole life's been privileged. I've had it good. He goes on after I answer the questions rightly, makes me get out of the car, makes the black kid get out of the car, makes us put our hands on the car, frisks us up and down, all of that, finds nothing, says you can get back in the car. When I get back in the car, I said, sir, why did this happen? Here's what he says. A white person hanging out with a black person and a Latino person doesn't look good. It looks suspicious. True story. Some of y'all remember me telling that story back when it happened. I'm just trying to get you to see that their experience is different. Let me give you a couple quotes Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. 
Let me give you another one. I am for truth no matter who tells it. And I am for justice no matter who it is for or against. These quotes came out of the 60s from African Americans who were trying to help us see their experience. Let me go a little bit further, though. I remember a story where a lady got arrested and it was all over the news because she had attacked her husband. She had been beating him with a pot and pan. Then she had pulled a knife on him. He called the police. The police came and got her and arrested her. And your first thought was, this woman was crazy. Come to find out, he had been extremely abusive. She had come home and found another woman in the bed. And so our thought was, I don't blame her. Is it wrong for her to pull a knife? Probably so. But you don't blame her, right? I know another story, true story, where, same thing, woman finds man in bed with another woman. She gets mad, and she starts wrecking all of his stuff. She takes all of his expensive stuff. She takes the TV. She throws it out the house. She takes the clothes, throws it out the house. She takes the clothes, goes to another family member's house, throws the clothes everywhere, makes the huge scene. It's embarrassing for everybody. Right or wrong? I don't know. Do you blame her? No, I don't. I don't blame her. I could tell you a hundred stories where the kid acts wrongly. Kid acts out. He's embarrassment. He's, he's ashamed. He's misbehaved and all of that. And most people are like, that kid needs a spanking. That kid, that kid needs something. You dig a little deeper and you say, why is he acting like that? Well, at home, his dad's abusive. His dad's mean. It's a mess of a home. And you say, that ain't good how the kid acts, but I don't blame him. Let me give you another one. It was a place of worship. People were in there doing what they thought they were supposed to do, what religious people do. And a guy shows up angry, gets real angry, drives them out of there, lets all the animals go, flips over the table, spreads the money everywhere, says, get out of here! You're not going to make my father's house a den of robbers. This house is going to be for all nations. He did not sin. He was upset. That's our Savior, Jesus. We need to understand that if somebody is hurting or being treated wrongly, we want to listen to them. We want to understand from them. There are so many of us, myself included, who have all of these opinions that should be helpful but we've not asked the person who's hurting. And what light does is it comes to the darkness and it exposes the darkness. May we be people that Jesus is doing that to us. It's saying before I say, man, those people are crazy and those people are crazy, crazy times, but I'm not the crazy one. May we be people who are saying, God, shine the light in my heart. Where is the racism? How do I treat people? How, how do the Spanish-speaking people feel that are in our world? How do the minorities feel that are in our world? How do they feel from me? And I don't get to decide that. I need to know what they think. And that's what it means when light shines into darkness. It exposes what the problem is. And we want that to happen in our world. So, listen, the Southern Baptists, 
which we're a part of, released a statement just the other day, I think yesterday. I want to read the whole thing to you because this is a big deal. As a convention of churches committed to the equality and dignity of all people, Southern Baptists grieve the death of George Floyd, who was killed May 25th, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. While all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country, going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras. The images and information we have available to us in this case are horrific and remind us that there is much more work to be done to ensure that there is not even a hint of racial inequity in the distribution of justice in our country. We grieve to see examples of the misuse of force and call for these issues to be addressed with speed and justice. While we thank God for our law enforcement officers that bravely risk their lives for the sake of others and uphold justice with dignity and integrity, we also lament when some law enforcement officers misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm on the people they are called to protect. We further grieve with our minority brothers and sisters in the wake of George Floyd's death, pray for his family and friends, and greatly desire to see the misuse of force and any inequitable distributions of justice come to an end. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Bible speaks to matters of justice and human dignity. We are taught by Scripture that human beings are distinct among the rest of creation as those beings which bear the divine image. From the beginning of life to the end, all human beings, both male and female, of all ethnicities, colors, and ages, are sacred beings that God values and loves. Throughout the law, the prophets, the gospels, and the entire canon of scripture, the whole Bible, murder is condemned as God, and God's people are called to protect the vulnerable. The Bible further condemns injustice and the misuse of authority and force. And in the example of Jesus Christ, God's people are called to love others, care for their needs, grieve with them in brokenness, and labor for the well-being of our neighbor. To follow Christ is to follow in these examples he puts before us. Therefore, as a matter of Christian obedience and devotion, followers of Jesus Christ cannot remain silent when our brothers and sisters, friends and or people we seek to win for Christ are mistreated, abused, or killed unnecessarily. Therefore, we pray for our local, state, and national leaders as they seek justice and call on them to act quickly and diligently to ensure that these situations are brought to an end. As a people, Southern Baptists stand ready to help towards that end May God give us favor, help, and strength in this effort. If Jesus is the light of the world, and if we are truly followers of Christ, then we want to be light, both doing good and at the same time exposing darkness. Now before we close, I want to remind you that this cannot and will not come from ourselves. We didn't have time today to look at all the passages in Scripture that speak to light, but one of the clearest ones is in 2 Corinthians where God describes conversion. What happens when God saves somebody is that the light shines into our dark hearts and gives us life. The Bible describes conversion, the new birth, getting saved, 
getting enlightened as the light shining into our dark hearts. May we first believe that our first step is to turn to God and say, God, shine light into my heart. And as we repent of our sins and cry out to God and say, God, before the issues are anybody else, the issue is me, Josh Green. The issue is you, whoever you are. That the issue starts here. God, shine light inside of me. And in doing that, we look to God. It is a true injustice in the world when God is represented as being in favor of certain people because of their skin color. That is not true. That is not true. And it is as bright as bright can be when the people of God who know him love people of all color and treat them equally. But that begins when we have turned ourselves to Christ. When we have said, God, forgive me of my sins. Shine the light in Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that the light shines, that Jesus is real. We are not with questions without answers. We are not hopeless without hope. The light shines. The light is bright. God is good and glorious. And he has people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We know this, and we love it. We love it, and we worship you for it. Father, we want to faithfully represent that. We want to treat people well. God, thank you for the response in this long statement I read from the Southern Baptist that this is what we want to be about. God, forgive us when we have <clears throat> thought of ourselves only and not the experience of those who are suffering. Help us with that. God, give us empathy. Give us concern. Give us care. Give us a heart. Give us burden. And yet, Father, thank you that it is Jesus Christ who is the light that shines into our hearts that even gets us to think this way. We will never help. We will never be helpful until we first look to the light that shines in us through you. Father, we pray now that you would make our church a light full of good works and exposing darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.